As we regather, um, I noticed when I welcomed you all this morning, uh, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Wally. If I have not met you, I am the teaching pastor here, thrilled that we can gather together. Uh, Sarah uh, and I will, uh, being the way the calendar lines up, we uh, get to also do the Christ candle for Advent. So we will do that um, uh, before we sink into some teaching time. So I'll read the scripture and you'll read reflection. Sounds good. Uh, Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men who had been following a star were filled with joy once they found Jesus. They came bringing gifts. Perhaps you've brought gifts to Jesus during this Advent season, the gifts of hope, love, joy, and peace shared with those around you. Maybe you helped another person in need, turned your back on anger, or showed kindness to someone who needed it. It's easy to wake up on Christmas morning thinking of the gifts we will receive. What would it mean for us to wake up each and every day of the year thinking about the unbreakable gifts we can give to Jesus by giving to others? As we light all five candles of Advent today, we thank God for Jesus, the light of life, and for the gifts of hope, love, joy, and peace. Let's pray. Awesome God, we thank you for being with us, for sending your child to walk with us, teach us, lead us, and love us. Help us carry the hope, love, joy, and peace of Christmas to those around us by how we live. Guide us as we share these unbreakable gifts with others. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Well, it being Christmas Eve and the fourth Sunday of Advent, we get all of the Christmas scriptures today. So we have a lot more uh, we're going to sink into um, as we sink into uh, teaching time. And I'm thrilled in some ways that it lands on Sunday morning because oftentimes I, uh, usually for Christmas Eve, we tighten things up and we keep it kind of uh, short. And, and it's one of those times that everyone actually knows like, wow, Wally can speak for less than an hour. Um, and time joke, right? And, but uh, it's Sunday morning and uh, it's our gathering and so whatever. Um, we're just going to go. But we have been, what we've been doing is we've been uh, looking at some of the songs of Christmas, but before we get to one more song that we kind of dig underneath the context of, uh, I figured Christmas Eve we should do a bit more uh, Christmas trivia. We did some Christmas trivia a couple weeks ago around the nativity scene. So this morning we're going to just sink into more of just the more uh, 
cultural Christmas, pop cultural Christmas stuff. So some questions, and I uh, went and got some more Skittles candy canes, because the peppermint ones, I, I, I mean, almost was not allowed to come back this week, apparently. Um, so we're going to go Skittles candy canes, uh, hand up, we'll go back to classroom style uh, for some Christmas trivia. Okay, ready? Question number one. What is the highest grossing, highest grossing Christmas movie ever? It wasn't in the text. <laughs> it, was, it was not in the text. So, Home Alone, no. Jeannie, no. Not Elf. Polar Express. Polar Express, good guess, no. Sarah? A Christmas Story, no. Sue? It's a Wonderful Life. No, Marlene. Welcome, Marlene. Molike family. Woohoo! Hello, you all. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. No, all great guesses. Henry, A White Christmas. No, Bob. Die Hard. No. Christmas Vacation. No. See what's happening. No. 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 <laughs> Okay, so Cy, Cy said home, home Alone, right, first. That's second. So number two is actually Home Alone, the, the original. That's second highest grossing. This one got me. I was shocked. Ready? The 2018 Illumination version of The Grinch. So the one that is most recent that came out, The Grinch, it's animated, but it's Illumination. That's the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time, with Home Alone being a uh, close second. Now, next one, what is the most streamed Christmas song on Spotify? Most streamed Christmas song on Spotify. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, correct. Well done. Well done. Any guesses on what number two is? I saw Mommy kissing Santa. I saw Mommy, no, 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 no. Mead one, Mr. Grinch? No, no. Sadie, did you have a guess? No. Anyone? Yeah, Hillary? No. Not a great guess, though. Dave. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. No, no. Beth? White Christmas? No. Carol the Bells? No. No. Ready? Last Christmas by Wham. I know, it's the second, second most streamed on Spotify. I'm sorry. Most streamed was All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Now, the most, I'm going to be bringing some candy canes home. The most recorded Christmas song of all time. Like, which one's been recorded the most? Silent Night, Silent Night is correct. See, that one got a little bit more like, okay, silent night. All right, so good for some Christmas trivia. Now, what we've been doing for this Advent season is we've been looking underneath some of the Christmas carols, uh, songs, hymns, if you will, and 
Um, as you know, when we get into the context of, of anything, but specifically when we've kind of dug into the context of these songs even, it's brought about more depth to what's going on in, when, when they were written, how they were altered, rewritten. Uh, we get more of the beauty, the depth, and the challenge of the songs. But what I love most about the Christmas songs, all of them, is that they bring a sense of hope. Uh, and I uh, love that. So Christmas Eve, we're going to look one, at one more song, uh, Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger. So this is a Christmas carol wrapped in humility, first published in the late 19th century, 1895 to be exact. But it was first famously encountered in 1882 in the children's corner section of the anti-Masonic journal, the Christian Sinosure. <laughs> kind of interesting. In Britain, this is the second most popular carol to Silent Night. Although long claimed to be the work of German religious reformer Martin Luther, for a long time that was kind of the rumor the carol is now thought to be wholly American in origin. The melody was originally composed in 1837 by Jonathan Spillman, Jonathan E. Spillman, you always use your middle initial. Later adapted by William J. Kirkpatrick in 1895, but probably the most popular arrangement used is by James R. Murray from 1883. Seven. Now then, this song, what I say when you sing, when you listen to the, to the words, it comes across as a very gentle song musically, and it's a favorite of families, children especially, and it sounds like it's almost a soundtrack to a children's book. Yet, I think the lyrics are very bold, and they speak of what I think is the most radical doctrine within Christianity. This is a song that speaks of the divine entering into the human experience. But it's not just that, which that alone should be enough to kind of blow our minds and our hearts, but the divine chooses to come among us as a helpless infant. What we find in the Christmas story and through the life of Jesus is that we no longer have to look to the spectacular or wildly miraculous to find the divine. The divine in Jesus is now found in our living rooms, at our tables, in our hurts, in our pains, in our struggles, and in the face of the person standing right across from us. Consider how during his lifetime, Jesus was mistaken for a gardener, a common traveler, and he was accused of being a drunk and a glutton and a sinner because of who he chose to befriend and keep company with. And the slandering of Jesus began in how the divine chose to come among us. An infant born of a broken 
family. The Gospels of Luke and Matthew clearly tell us that Jesus is born of Mary, but not born of Joseph. So there is an ancient Hebrew word used for this unfortunate predicament. It shows up twice in the Hebrew Scriptures, most notably in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 23.2. And being that it's Christmas Eve, we're going to look at how it was translated in the King's Old English, also known as the King James Version. So Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2, says this, A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Whoa. That is awkward. Right? Now the ancient Hebrew word that we've translated here, it also functioned as a societal label placed on someone. The ancient Hebrew word is the word mamzer. Go ahead and say mamzer. Mamzer. It means a strange person, illegitimate child, or a person who is born as the result of a certain forbidden relationship or incest. It means mixed race, and taken even further, it means born of a Jewish father and a heathen mother or vice versa. The Talmud, which is rabbinic commentary on the scriptures, explains the term as consisting of the words mum, which means defect, and czar, which means strange or foreign, so it means a defective foreigner. And it was a euphemism for an illicit union somewhere in the person's lineage. And to top it off, when the adult Jesus is in the midst of, let's say, a conversation with the religious elite, they blatantly label Jesus a mamzer after he calls them out in their hypocrisy. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 41 to 48, we have this interaction where Jesus has said this to him. They respond to Jesus when he calls them out. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Then they say, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan, a mixed race? Aren't we right in calling you a mamzer and demon possessed. How have we missed this? In his very own life, the religious gatekeepers slap a label on Jesus. We have a story, the Christmas story, in which we sing songs of the divine stepping into the world, carrying the societal label of insufficient illegitimate, and socially unacceptable. So whatever temporary label has been placed on you by others, including the religious gatekeepers, may you know that Jesus the Christ is born to us in such a way as to stand in solidarity with the misfits, the looked down on, the marginalized, and those who are labeled 
and left out by society. So let me say right up front, my hope for each and every one of you this Christmas Eve is that you will see in this story the eternal has been born to us, all of us, as one who stands with us in our hurts and our pains and by the way people have labeled us. The cosmic Christ story of love born unto us is about the divine meeting each and every one of us right where we are, just as we are. You are loved. Whether this season finds you low or high, regal or ragged, wise or witless, in Jesus the Christ there is belonging for everyone. No matter the label that has been placed on us by others, the soundtrack of Christmas, which has been playing for thousands of years, offering hope for all of creation, tucked within the humble, flesh-and-blood simplicity of the Christ child, come on. With that intro, because we're just getting started... I'd like to guide us on a bit of an, an adventure this morning, replete with the gift of art, creation, and a whole lot of goodness. So we're going to read four creation narratives to help us get going. So with that, I'd love to welcome uh, Denny and Laura Lee Bergsma, Bob and Jeannie Zwiers, and they're going to read our first two birth narratives this morning. Thank you all. Who's got that? Got it. This is Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunbursts of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy. The joy of a great salvation, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of oppressors wow. and cruelty of tyrants. All their whips and cudgels and curses is gone, done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with blood stain, with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned a fire that will last for days. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all this. Luke 2, 1 through 7. About that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken throughout the empire. 
This was the first census since Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from the Galilean town of Nazareth up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's town, for the census. As a descendant of David, he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the hostel. Luke 2, 1 through 21 from the message. There were shepherds camping in the neighborhood. They had set night watches over their sheep. Suddenly, God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A savior has just been born in David's town, a savior who is Messiah and master. This is what you are to look for, a baby in a blanket and lying in a manger. At once, the angel was joined by a huge angelic choir singing God's praises. Glory to God in the heavenly heights. Peace to all men and women on earth who please him. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the shepherds talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the shepherds were impressed. Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The shepherds returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they'd been told. When the eighth day arrived, the day of circumcision, the child was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Thank you so much. Now, it gives us some birth narratives. We have two more birth narratives. My favorite birth narratives. So we're going to jump into another one. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we read of the eternal artist giving birth to creation through the spoken word. Now, we have likely heard or read this dozens of times, yet the mind cannot fathom the depth of such a text. Now, we're going to jump to another similar birth narrative, but in the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming in 
to the world. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Transcendent words that are both kind of mind-melting and heart-expanding. Now I want to move from some profound texts to a short movie clip that is both fitting for the season and one I think holds so many layers of depth. So let's check this out. Right. I love it. Now, that's a good setup because Buddy the Elf has invited us into favorites. So I'd like to spend a few minutes and talk about favorites. I traveled to Turkey in 2015 on what was called a pastor's familiarization trip. Now, this trip was set as a group of pastors who acted both as uh, pastors and students. We were learning the land where most of the post-gospel New Testament scriptures take place. And we were learning how to also lead a future study trip of our own. It was kind of twofold. I absolutely loved the experience. The following year, I had the opportunity to travel to Israel on a similar biblical studies tour. All of the learning that took place in these trips was mind-blowing and heart-expanding. I love learning and being a student of the text in context. But it's not my favorite. Last year, I had the incredible opportunity to co-lead a study trip to Israel. It was an amazing experience and such a gift to teach the text in its context. Next year, in October, I will co-lead a biblical studies trip to Turkey. I am bonkers about teaching the text in context, but it's not my favorite. Many of you know that my wife and I recently spent two full weeks in Rome to celebrate 20 years of marriage. We crafted a trip that packed in so much exploration, yet none of it was rushed. We took as much time as we needed to experience what we wanted and needed. We routinely walk past the world-famous Colosseum, next slide, at night and during the day, next slide. The Colosseum was constructed in 70 CE, first century, constructed, unbelievable. We took in the Trevi Fountain, next slide. A couple of times walking around, it is gorgeous. Next slide. Beautiful Trevi Fountain. 
If we saw the doors open to a basilica, we went in. And if we caught the timing right, we could pretend we were Catholic and participate in the Eucharist. Each basilica was gorgeous and had layers upon layers of history and art and so many stories. In one basilica, we saw this, Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses. It is haunting to me in its brilliance. We took hours upon hours in several museums where it was common to see the art of Caravaggio, this being his painting known as the Deposition from the Cross. We took a mosaic-making class from people whose main work is restoring ancient mosaics, so they participate in archaeological digs. It was the two of us, and then there were four other people in this small little shop, all learning the patient, delicate art of making a mosaic. It took us three hours to make these little mosaics. Sarah's is on top. It's the calla lily. It was our wedding flower. Mine is the bottom. It's supposed to be a Greek-Roman building supposed to be. I look at that and I remember being there three hours it took me to make that and I look at it and I go, that looks like a three-year-old did it. <laughs> Which led us in doing that to more awe and wonder of the endless mosaics we saw in homes, basilicas, and this floor, and this floor we found in the recently opened um, palace of the Roman Emperor Nero, which is underground because they found it and it's underground. This is all mosaic, this massive floor. Then just walking from our Airbnb, just going about, we see this mosaic. Just, you know, 1800 years old and it's just there as you're walking through the city. We took a ride to this gorgeous little town, Frescati, for a pasta-making class with wine tasting. The lady who taught the class is continuing her family's heritage and business of making the best pasta in wine in Italy. And the pasta I made, next slide, the pasta I made was the best pasta I have ever had, solidifying the fact that fresh ingredients and proper care can make a yo-yo like me into a chef. Like, it was so good. Next slide. The top one was mine, Cascio e Pepe, and the bottom, pasta carbonara, is Sarah that she made. Oh, good heavens, it was fantastic. Now, at this point, you're wondering why on Christmas Eve are we doing a vacation travelogue with Uncle Wally? <laughs> no, we're not. I have a point. On this vacation, I was largely able to do something that has too often escaped me in my years of being a pastor. I turned work off. And I got lost in the thing that is my favorite 
thing. My favorite thing is being a kid of the Creator. Being a kid of the Creator is my favorite. And getting lost in the wonder of the divine. But here's the thing. It's not just me being a kid, but also watching others discover or rediscover what it means to be a kid of the playground, on the playground of our brilliant God. Part of contemplating the vacation was reflecting on how grounding it was for me and also how transcendent it was. I realized how easy it can be to slip into becoming a professional Christian. Unintentionally, being a pastor and attempting to lead a community, one's identity can dissolve into one's work. My work is as a pastor, but I am a kid of Christ. And so are you. Wonder and awe is undefeated and awakening me to simply being a child of God. Some of that wonder and awe is watching others being seized by grace. There were times during our vacation that I sat back and I watched my wife get washed over by awe and wonder. This fresco... This fresco was found in the palace of Livia. She was the favorite wife of Caesar Augustus, who we studied last week. Next slide. We saw a number of busts, these marble things of, of, of Augustus, of the emperors. And that's how I take my notes. I write it on my picture. This one's Augustus because we saw so many. Now, if we can go back. My wife's staring at this fresco, so understanding a fresco is just painted right on the wall. This was in the palace of Livia, Caesar Augustus' favorite wife, and I did say that correctly, his favorite wife, because dude had issues. I got lost in watching my one wife <laughs> staring at the beauty of the frescoes. I thought to myself, I kid you not, I'm standing there and I thought, I'm going to have to call security to have her taken out of this room because she was entranced. One day we were walking along the Tiber River. Next slide. We're going along the Tiber. It's stunning, beautiful, and everything around it. And it was right up on the wall as we were walking. My wife saw this snail. She paused and she took about a hundred pictures <laughs> of this snail. She was mesmerized and I was enchanted. There was this fantastic little Italian woman who had a fruit and vegetable stand outside of our Airbnb every morning. Next slide. 
There she is. Oh, I want her to be my grandma. We bought fruit from her nearly every day because it was exquisite. And because I loved watching her delight in knowing she was giving people her very best. It was magical. We are living at a time in history that is buried in endless hurt and pain, violence and chaos. So you discovering or rediscovering what it means to simply be a kid of our creator is crucial for the healing of our world that we would get lost in the wonder and awe of the one who crafted this world and then chose to enter into it as a mamzer so that he could look us in the eyes, each one of us, and say, you matter and you belong. Christmas is about celebrating how the creator became a kid so he could teach us how to discover what it means to be his kids. That is either ridiculous or wildly divine, both of which are wonder-filled. Honestly, I think Emily Dickinson nailed it with this, when she said, wonder is not precisely knowing and not precisely knowing not. Or the late Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, we can never sneer at the stars, mock the dawn, or scoff at the totality of being. Supreme grandeur evokes unhesitating, unflinching awe. Away from the immense cloistered in our own concepts, we may scorn and revile everything, but standing between earth and sky, we are silenced by the sight. Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder and he gave it to me. He said this, a couple months before he died. Those are stunning words. And we have listened to a number of fantastic readings from the second word of God, which is the text we call the Bible. I'd like to end with the first or the original word of God, which is creation itself. When Sarah and I left on our connecting flight when we were flying out of Copenhagen, Denmark, the sun was setting and this was our picture as we're flying out. Now being that we were flying west, several hours later, at least seven hours later, this was our picture. The sun was still setting. It felt like an eternal sunset. 
It was so breathtaking. It was consecutive hours of awe and wonder. Now here's the thing. Buddy the elf said that his favorite thing was the basics of smiling. That's his favorite. Then the boss man tells him to make work his favorite, which Buddy agrees to because we learn that joy, awe, and wonder will be the engine in which Buddy does everything. May that be true of us. Because when love is born in us, it changes everything. And Christmas teaches us that love is born in ordinary places, of kitchens, at tables, in workplaces, in families, and in the flesh. In Christmas, the divine is born to us in the ordinary. And the divine abides in us as we abide in the ordinary and every day. Next slide. That we would see Christ in the common all around us, all the time, inviting us to have love born in us so that it can make its way through us. Let's reflect on that as we continue to worship through music and singing and feel free to get lost in awe and wonder. Gracious God, I bless you for loving us so much that you would come to us in the ordinary. You would come to us in a helpless infant. You would come to us as one of us. You would come to us being labeled by society as in sufficient, inadequate, not good enough, not acceptable. This is how you came to a world that you came to in love. And God, I bless you for loving us right where we are, as we are. You don't wait for us to clean up for you to love us, but you meet us right where we are and love us forward. I bless you, God, for this celebration of love being born unto us, being born in us. May we make room, God, in our hearts, in our lives, for you to keep transforming us into all that you created us to be as your kids. God, may this Christmas, may your kids go wild with celebration. 
May your kids get lost in the awe and wonder of who you are, how you are, and how you love us. God, may this Christmas have heaven crashing into earth in the most profound and beautiful ways. And may we be awakened to it even now. Amen.